Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Cool, man. Welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, so um, we did a podcast a long time ago, right? Um, yeah, I think it was like two years now, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. What What happened to it? Um, It's still on my YouTube channel nice. and uh, got a decent amount of views when we first did it. I've slowed down a bit with my YouTube output this year just from having other things taking over my time. Um. And um, it's hard to keep it up. I mean, mm. you've how much time do you can think you're putting into you like your YouTube and education side of your business versus the creative record releasing touring guy part? Yeah, so I, I've actually been really careful over the last like maybe twelve months to two years or three years even to sort of like re gear my life more around writing music. So I've um sort of taken a like i've got like a new relationship with shows now i've got a new relationship with youtube like everything that was kind of like taking up time from writing music i sort of backed off a little bit yeah and tried to like make it more about the music writing process and just that that like that's what i am and that's what i do and and the youtube thing is just a thing that i do intermittently whenever i feel like it so the pressure's off in terms of like you don't have like a you don't have any demands on yourself as like have no to do i don't have a schedule and another thing that i've noticed is if i make things like hard for myself like I think you made it hard for yourself because you were doing so much editing on the videos and stuff like that. Um, I notice if I make stuff hard on myself, I just want to do it. Right. So like uh, it's kind of like uh, like exercise, right? If I like I do this boot camp thing every now and then, and because it's so hard, I'll only go like twice a week. Whereas if my exercise was like a walk around the block, I'd probably do it every day. You know. Right. It's, right. It's kind of like uh, you know when something is like mentally daunting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I set myself up to for a really high challenge for that because it was fun in the beginning to like flush out what we were talking about with like visual aids and like you know like try to like animate the various things we were discussing and add put numbers on the screen and maps and shit like that. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a really good um, way to learn video editing and how to make vlogs, which I did a few of after that. You know. Um, but it's so time consuming. It's such a it process is. and it takes so much planning. And like you saw me just trying to like tech a three camera shoot and like check out everything and like, you know, headphones and all this stuff. It's like a really complicated way of having a discussion basically that you could just yeah. compress and put on SoundCloud. And, and, dude, and that's exactly what I want to do with this podcast. I don't want it to be like a massively time consuming, massively like daunting thing for me i literally just want to throw two mics up or three mics up like this hit yeah. record and then just upload it <laughs> yeah that makes perfect sense and i was going through and even editing out like dead space and and some of the ums and you know just trying to like really get the things perfect and taking it was about a full-time week you know like a week of full-time hours to do one podcast yeah, you know so i did insane. a couple of them i had a really bad thing happen where i i think my my last podcast that I did. Um, the one with Juby? Yeah. Um, it turned out he's just a horrible dude. And, and that came out 
like a week after we did the podcast. And I really didn't know him well going into it. And so I spent a full week editing, you know, only to like get sick to my stomach and like, you know, have the whole kind of Denver scene be affected in such a negative way that yeah, that well, threw um, me off a little bit, you know, because I was like real gung ho about the whole concept as like, well, I'm going to do a million of these and it's going to be, you know, a certain way. And after a while, I'll have it down to a system. And it, like that just kind of gutted me. And I was like, ah, I don't really want to mess <laughs> around with this too much anymore. And But I don't think yeah. the issue was the podcast. The issue was obviously him. Absolutely. Yeah. It just so happened that I stared at him for five days editing the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, There's so much okay. editing. When you're going over like something that you did, yeah, it's yeah. like watching yourself have a conversation in, in, you know, chunk by chunk and like editing that. It's so in your face, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Same with the, the YouTube tutorial thing. I've never um, edited them really heavily. Like usually it's just a, I'll set it up, try and get the levels like n nice enough so that you can hear Ableton, you can hear me. Yeah. And then I'll just hit record, talk for like, 10 to 20 minutes about a subject or a trick or something and then i'll just usually do it maybe sometimes i'll put it in davinci and do like a couple of edits like you know i'll put an intro on the start and i'll put like an end card and like that's about it and then i'll just upload it and i won't like even do tags and shit when i upload it and my description will usually just be my web url like i won't even write a description and stuff and for a while um i actually paid this guy gardner who um he's done like two two vlogs with me and and stuff like that before and he's um he's he's really good at youtube stuff and really good at video editing and he uh i was paying him 50 bucks a video at one point to edit me a video every week so 200 a month basically to do four videos a month um which for him was like good because he can do it super fast because he's really good at it um and it was good for me because my youtube channel was looking a bit more pro and stuff like that but i noticed that people just don't care like when it when it's like a youtube tutorial thing they're more interested in like how can you help me reach my goals really quickly with no bullshit in between it's and true. and really a lot of editing can kind of just get in the way of that uh, i mean it can also make the message clearer and better if you're like really good at the editing and stuff like that and it can also make the video like more engaging and you can get your watch time up that way but um yeah for, for my style I think it, it just makes sense to just open OBS and just hit record and talk and then upload that. And then people seem to be just as happy with it. It really seems like the videos for me that do well are the ones that have the better tricks in them. Yeah. Cause I mean, people want the actual content. I mean, myself included. I, I think I came into doing video. I was kind of excited to try all the everything, you know, and I was seeing dudes like popular YouTube vlogger dudes like Peter McKinnon or somebody doing like whatever they were talking about, they made it, they kind of sold it, you know, it felt like it was important or whatever. And, but that just sucks to watch a tutorial about something you really need to learn. You know, if you're trying to just learn phase plant or something to have to listen to someone selling their YouTube channel for two yeah. minutes and oh, then oh, all dude, these gimmicky things. <laughs> and then, you know, okay. It's, it's, you know, all this stuff. I mean, not to diss anybody's thing, but you know, just like the gimmicks part of it, like two minute Tuesdays and all this stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I don't think, especially having done a good amount of teaching this year, like people don't want that. They want to the, the information. They want you to jump in as human fast as humanly possible, or at least I do. And so like my favorite, people to watch YouTube videos for if I want to learn something is just someone that skips straight to it. Like the very first thing they say is, okay, so click on, you know, just like, I don't even want an intro or like, follow me for 10 more, you know, please remember to bang the, <laughs> Smash that yeah, dude, button. I can't anymore, you know? And I think yeah, that yeah. that 
that that was what I first was kind of paying attention to the most. And I think that's the most gimmicky part of it that after people watch a few of those, like who cares, you know, and you don't need to be sold anything and be sort of like entertained yeah. when you just need some good information. So I, I you know, I, I gravitate to the people that are um, really concise and articulate and get the hell to the point and don't put too much into like fluffing it up or totally. turning it I, into I something else. I also think that from the um, creator perspective as well, like if you're telling people to smash the sub button a ton and if you're like sending people through these like gates yeah. so that they have to like like pages to get your content and all of that, that stuff, you end up sort of just inflating your social numbers anyway. And then that gives you like a little bit of a skewed view of how big you actually are um, or at least gives... Uh, I think the goal is to give um, the outside world a, a skewed view of how big you actually are, but it has the other effect of, of fucking up your own mind too. And then right. you'll go and do something like a show and be like, fuck, why did the show do real bad? And it's like, oh, because I actually don't have that many fans. Well, yeah, there's such a, like a perceived thing on the internet and then the real thing, you yeah, know? Yeah. And someone could be like, oh, my, he's everywhere, but he's like bought a lot of fans and is basically just like promoting the shit out of what he's doing. And I've noticed that like, the promoting thing has become totally watered down. Like if I'm looking through Instagram, there's people promoting posts of them like hacking a cover song. Mm -hmm. It's the level of promoted <laughs> posts. It's yeah. gone down to the bottom. Right. So they're like a professional doing a promoted post. It looks like what's wrong with your business. Like, yeah, yeah. why do you need <laughs> to do that? You know what I mean? Whereas I think there was a moment when promoting posts was just a way of getting more listeners now it's almost like a red flag, you yeah. know, because I'll, I'll go on there and almost everything that's promoted is just like sub amateur. You know, it's just a weird thing that people are like, why would you pay 40 bucks to have that content spread everywhere, you know, as opposed to something like it doesn't show what you can do or it doesn't show your your brand or your creativity. You know, I don't know. It's just kind of a yeah. blurry blurred the whole playing field with that um yeah how's the teaching going as well you're at kmg now right yeah it's going really well um it's been an experience for me to try to find a good balance with teaching a lot and having it be a pretty structured schedule and you know button up shirts and you know, all this kind of yeah. stuff but also like staying psyched to come home and get into it and like keeping my own music fresh and not being like oh well i'm doing more teaching now so i guess my music is more of a hobby or whatever like i never want it to get to that place yeah, yeah. so i'm really careful about trying to stay frosty with like wanting to do music and like pushing myself and that's been the only challenge is that it's just a lot of hours you know it's like just talk for six hours and then give a shit about yeah, a like you know compression it's kind of a challenge but i also the good side of that same coin is that it's just gotten rid of my bullshit factor altogether like i've had to really up my game to like there's certain things i know how to do myself mm -hmm. but i couldn't explain articulately to yeah, you yeah, yeah. and if you had any questions then we would get into this gray area where mm -hmm. i didn't yeah. have the even the language to like clarify that and so that's been great for me is like like just understanding on a different like on a deeper level yeah like to really look at ableton which is a program i've been using since 1.5 but in a really kind of how it ever 
ways that suited my music making or performing. That's all. So, you so just I would just like ignore aspects. Yeah, of the I would ignore anything that didn't matter to me. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, if yeah. I used a device and I was like, and eh, I don't see why I'd use that, I'd never open it again. Yeah, you know, because yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like I'd ever need to convey it to someone else. Whereas now. You know, every device in the rack, I've got to know how every knob on it and yeah. some cool tricks because so do most of the kids coming in. Right. You know, they're not yeah. like some of them are total beginners. Um, I think that the school kind of aims at that, but some of them have tons of tunes and they just really want to take it up a notch. And yeah, so a little bit, that can be challenging because you're looking at it, some people that have no idea what you're talking about, and then a couple people that are bored. Yeah. And so that's where it really like, forced me to get my bullshit out of the way and to read the manual and to watch some lots of YouTube myself and to like sort of get get to the next level I love that even on like the teaching level it's like still watching YouTube tutorials is I know way. like it's I, so I just funny. did um, I just taught the sound design degree at Berkeley in Valencia for the first three months of this year at a master's level <laughs> and I was still watching YouTube tutorials because for some reason YouTube I mean it can be everything from some kid just like burping and drinking Mountain Dew and being like, yeah, bro, click on this button and you Open get sick wubs or whatever, you know, but I can still learn something from that kid if you're willing to go into this world. Because yeah. sometimes it's like the fact that they, they're starting without all this baggage that we maybe have or, or something, yeah. they just go at it fresh, you know? And so I've learned a lot from some, some of those videos, even though that's kind of goofy, but man, there's some really talented, articulate YouTubers these days, especially for the more um, ubiquitous software, like Ableton, Serum, you know, stuff that like everyone yeah. has. It's yeah. kind of, there's so much garbage tutorials out there that I think if some quality stuff bubbles to the top pretty easily, yeah, you yeah. know, it's still hard to find obscure things or if you have a piece of software that isn't very popular, yeah. finding a decent watchable you know, video. Um, I feel like if you, wanna, if you want to find out like all the shit about Serum, the two people to watch is Virtual Riot and AE5. Yeah. Those two guys are so good at Serum. Absolutely. And they've gone so far into it for so many hours that their comfort factor, A, of like just doing video streams for hours and just like, yeah, not yeah. give a shit, you know, that helps kind of it to feel like you're just right there in their room with them or you know like in the conversation where the, the yeah those are super helpful um and probably you know i think there's the, they've they've changed so many people's like approach yeah. you know that's something i notice is that my students at kmg like they all reference you nice. and they all reference virtual riot and some of the more popular you know, YouTube YouTubers. And that's like really where they've, cause it's mostly self-taught stuff, you know? And so like, that's huge. Um, I don't think that that's going to go away. I don't think, I think that some people like to learn in a class. Some people like to learn just by themselves, you know? And then the YouTube does this nice in between where you can pause it or like, watch you can just watch a little speed. bit. <laughs> I just try to cram one into my head over coffee every day as a um, discipline Cool. Whatever it is, you know. So it's like your first thing when you wake up is like you're watching yeah, YouTube Yeah, I'll just jam something into my head. You're like I just bought um, Phase Plant. Oh, dude, that's a great. It's sense. sick. Yeah. Yeah, I had that in the beta, Did and um, I was supposed to make some presets for it, but I didn't end up getting around to it. Um, have you have you heard the Rob Swire presets? They're good. They're so good. There's like one where you just hold down a button, 
and it plays and like, like a whole thing, the yeah. entire dial-up sound. Yeah. There's another one where you just hold down a key and it just um like plays this whole police chase scene. <laughs> like you can hear a helicopter in the background and like sirens <laughs> totally. and like all sorts of shit. It's such a powerful synth. It's um, crazy. It even has that Space Invaders game if you click on the thing. Did you see found that? Oh, no, I haven't found that. There's a, there's a video game in it. Really? It's right in the main front pa- front panel you just click the little space invader icon and it pops open and you use your uh, keyboard and, sp- and space bar and shit Fuck, <laughs> I, didn't know that. Crazy. I, I ended up getting a um like a vst from um vengeance you know the sound pack guys they have like a bunch of software like i i've used for years their metrum kick drum so- software oh yeah really metrum. yep that's a good one yeah i have i, I know um haywire got me onto that it's really good yeah. i mean it's totally sick and there's a nice randomized feature which I, for me is like any plugin that has a randomized it's like instantly goes into yeah, my favorites. Um, yeah. Speaking of randomized stuff, have you used the unfiltered audio stuff like Spec Ops or Biome or anything like no, that? No, no, no. That stuff's really cool. Um, Biome is especially cool. Uh, as far as kick drum uh, kick stuff goes, have you used the Sonic Academy Kick 2? Yeah, I have that yeah, as well. That, that's my favorite one, I think, for kicks. I like it too. The the um, Metrum is ruder right out of the gate. Okay. Like it just punches like super hard. Right. Um, but it could just be the way I've used to it and like maybe it's just even louder or something like yeah, that, you know, yeah. but the kick two is very cool. I've used like... both of them recently. Um, I did a thing one time where I used Metrum and that randomizer and just who knows what I was thinking, but I stayed up like super late and just randomized, just spit out like thousand kicks or something like that because <laughs> I have that um, one shot recorder. I uh, keep meaning yeah. to give it to you because uh, um... you have PC and it is like out of print for years it's yeah. like, i always talk about it i i think I, donald was saying that you mentioned to him he should like rebuild it or something. yeah i keep trying to find myself a programmer if someone is listening to this and they can make vsts <laughs> i have a project for you yeah. um it's it's this if you, if you don't know about it you can easily search what it looks like it's called osr2 um but it's it it just as audio passes through it it collects a hit in each of 127 cells and at the end you can just press normalize export it puts it in one folder named kick drums batch one like batch names and you get like 100 one, you know 28 or whatever kick drums in a folder and it, it takes seconds right and that's the kind of thing that if i mean for making sample packs it's ridiculously convenient but i'll just spend a night of doing sound design and run it through there as well as recording on a channel like on that channel i'll have it running and every time it fills up just you know put it out yeah so i basically have i think i've made this year easily twenty thousand and one shots wow um and you should, they're uh, all you know categorized and stuff and right um do you make sample packs or sell sample packs i do um i haven't i have one the most recent one i did is called 2001 snares nice and it's literally 2001 snares <laughs> i um created like a snare machine kind of like where i could turn macro knobs to get different fundamentals different amounts of this that tails all that stuff and how different um, are like the snares from each other are they all from the same patch no so i used maybe about 10 different kind of source like donk sounds to start with um and then it's all different kinds of stuff so it really is like 2000 different snares there's you know you'll get into a zone where they'll be similar they'll have one similar trait but they'll be like more attack, higher pitch, long tail, 
wide, yeah, yeah. narrow, you know. And um, where where can people get it? Is it? Um, you can get it on my. I, I have to really update my whole like website world, but um, if you just search Vibe Squad 2001 Snares, it's the very first thing that comes up. It's on my selfie, selfie, whatever they call that page. Um, I need to get a little more dialed with that. I tend to get on the front end, put in a ton of work, yeah. and I don't know whether it's. I'm bad at business or I just get shy and a little like not wanting to just self-promote like crazy. It does feel weird. And I, I think that's weird like selling my shit sometimes. Yeah. I, what I've done recently is I've started building my own intermediaries between my work and stuff. So like I have a label now and I, I have two labels actually. I have one for music, which is Beleagle Beats. And then I have another one for sample packs, which is Beleagle Sounds. And it kind of like, and then I've hired people to run them. So like I have an A&R for each one and I have like, you know, artwork creators for, for both and stuff like that and um i don't know building like this whole team around it and making like this thing kind of makes it feel like you know it's not so much about me anymore it's like about this fucking other thing and and then it like allows even though i'm the one sort of doing a lot of i'm running a lot of it it still feels like more serious and like i'm working for somebody else sort of thing that's and i think that's a that's the big benefit of like a label as well i think for artists sometimes is that as an artist yeah you do feel weird like doing a lot of your own pr and stuff like that so it's kind of nice to just palm it off to a label and be like like all right you do all the pr and then we'll split the profits 50 50 or something yeah that's been what i've done wrong the whole time is that like i'm just a control freak and a loner kind of person (laughs) so i always gravitated toward doing it all myself because I kind of hate that feeling of collaborating with someone and they're like, oh yeah, I hate that part. And you're like, but that was my favorite part. And it just sort of like, yeah. it's But the thing is, is if you can't like trust other people in that way, then you can't scale. Yeah, it's no, like, I, that's exactly what happened is yeah, I yeah. literally didn't scale. Yeah, like, it's like be- business 101. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I didn't ask for help. Yeah. yeah. So that's another one of my like, you know, just personality, personality flaws is like, I'm just a dude that doesn't like help. And, yeah. you know, so I end up doing everything myself but then griping about it and being salty <laughs> about it too. So it's not like yeah. it's, I mean, I think that if I was that way, but I loved it and I also just was just like, had the stamina to always be like, woo, vibe squad or something. <laughs> but the thing is, is I'd have that stamina in the studio and then immediately have no confidence about it and, yeah. and don't have the follow through vibe. And that would have been a great thing to team up with people with um for label releases, for sample packs, for team building management, you know, like just the brand, you know, Vibe Squad should have been a couple people, and it instead was me. And whether I felt like wearing the like songwriter hat or the try to eat, promote, like get a gig hat, you know, yeah, or whatever, like it was always in this agent. bit of a desperate kind of like, whoa, shit, I gotta do this <laughs> fast or else it's gonna slip away. You know? Yeah, no, you gotta get a manager and an agent and stuff if you're gonna do that. I reckon, otherwise, it just starts to. It's two different mindsets, like being an artist and being a businessman. Yeah, and I feel like it's really hard to be both. And some people can kind of be both, like Excision is both. I yeah. guess like he manages himself, or I think his brother might help manage him. Or, it's it's really tough to like be your own agent, your own manager, and write all your own music. Yeah, um, the problem is I got burned in management relationships twice in a row where it was wrong. Like it was just a bad match. Right. Like they like stole money or something. Well, different things. You know, um, my first manager um, accidentally sent me an email where he was just dissing me. Wow. And yeah, he, um, I had an album cover that, um, 
I was pretty stoked on. My son was three and had drawn this doodle of this little dude. And I thought it was so cool. It became the fire cover for the fire album. Nice. And um, I was really into it. And I got an email from my manager saying, you know, to the graphic designer, um, this is a ridiculously bad idea. Please just mock this up for Aaron so I can tell him that it won't work. He wants to put his stupid kid's picture on the front of the what? album. Yeah, it was like the worst I mean, that moment. Sh- that shouldn't really be like their call anyway. I was like, you should be able oh, to choose your own artwork. It for your gutted own me. He called me to do damage control. And I just totally remember pacing around the backyard, talking to him on a headset and being like, thinking like I should absolutely quit and fire this guy because he doesn't have my back. <laughs> like if he's, you know, if he's out in the marketplace just dissing me, yeah. it's not the first or the last time. And Probably, yeah. he's certainly like doing me a disservice and like doesn't respect me or my music. Like that's the wrong dude. I shouldn't be working well, with him. The, and I stayed with him, which was a mistake. Yeah, you know? fuck yeah. that shit. It, all a manager should do is they should just like manage your success really. Like they shouldn't be trying to make artistic decisions. I mean, they could maybe input some shit, but like you should always have the final say, I think. And then really they should just be there to field any of the successful shit that's coming your way because you're doing good art you know like yeah and if and if that's not the case then they shouldn't be a manager and if it's not the case that you don't need a manager because you're not like you know you can just handle it all yourself or something then maybe you shouldn't have one either you know right. but like <clears throat> yeah definitely i think some managers are super controlling like i did a collaboration recently um with an artist who i won't name and it was me ill gates and another artist um i'll just say it it's virtual right and, <laughs> and yeah uh, i saw a bunch of posts from ill gates being upset about the fact that someone had ripped like your guys' session off the video or something uh, is that part of it or is that just not, is it no, not part that's, of story? that's not really related yeah. um but yeah so we finished the collab or we pretty much finished it and then we're like cool let's set up a release plan and then um uh, and then virtual riots manager was like no you can't put his name on it and we're like why not and he's just like oh, it's not like big enough and like you know we want to just do bigger stuff so we can get like you know better opportunities for like bigger stuff and, it, and it's just like a small look i guess you know so um right. so they, they said you can't put his name on it but you can you can put his name as like a writing credit Huh. Um, so like he'll still get paid for it and shit but and he still did a lot of work on it and it's still great and it sounds like a cool song and we're gonna put it up but yeah for some reason i right. mean and that's like an example of a manager being like super controlling but he he uh, i had a conversation with valentin about it and he was like yeah i really trust my manager and i trust his decisions and and i was like cool i mean like if, if you trust him and, and you think it's the right call and i'm i'm down to not put your name on it i suppose but, right but yeah to me i would never fucking let my manager do that shit i would be like if he was trying to tell me like what i could and couldn't put my name on i'd be like we're done here yeah <laughs> Get the fuck out of here i mean after that manager i i was on this other company uh out of kansas city that in my relationship with them also ended up just horrible like the main guy on my case was coming up with the dumbest things that he was suggesting that i do and he spent like 1200 bucks on an album cover design that was mediocre of my just right out of my bank account without telling me kind of stuff like that like little things where wait he took 1200 bucks out of your bank to do yeah, an to album pay cover? for an album cover and it's <laughs> crazy it was crazy shit like that like i lost a lot of money working with them and he had the dumbest like the dumbest ideas like do you remember that there was like this big political thing and, and this african 
tribal leaders, all this violence. Like I, I'm mixing it up with the Harambe uh, uh, <laughs> meme <laughs> yeah. thing, but it was like the one before that, oh, or like somehow Coney or something. Yes, that was, was it. it. And Coney? he yeah. he wanted me to tie in a tune with like whatever. Like he's like, you know, activism and music can be a good way to get your name further or whatever. And like I was like, no, don't put my name on any shit having to do with any yeah. political trendy. Like hell no, I don't know. It was just like this weird flex, right? Where it's like I just really wanted to be doing music, and he was coming up with all these goofy ways to try to like gimmick it into the scene, you know? Yeah, I think mixing politics with art, it, it's good if you really like truly believe in it. Like for instance, the way Bleep Bleep does it, I think is good. He he's just like he has a spine and he just like talks his mind on Twitter a lot and just like tries to share a lot of stuff that it's he thinks. Authentically is, his. It's authentically him trying to do good for the world, yeah, which is yeah. good. But if you're doing that shit just to like virtue signal and just to try and like make it look like you're a you know some kind of person it was pure and, gimmick the way that it was coming yeah, down the pipe yeah shit, dude, i was like so i'm not gonna just grab onto some corny thing and it turned out like it blew up like that whole story turned south and like had i tied my name to it i would look like an idiot and i knew it from the get-go and so like i always get nervous when managers coming at me with ideas because they <laughs> te- like those guys were like all of their ideas were like that and they also had this thing where they was would it have like these a management meetings. Company or was it just one? Yeah, it was a management company, Which and they had a bunch of interns. It? it was called Mammoth, and yeah. they had a bunch of interns. And they, the interns, would log onto my Facebook late night as me and comment right. in conversations without the sense of humor or like personality that i've been establishing online it would just be like it would just be some idiot like as me try and get engagement going yeah just doing shit and just who knows what they were thinking but that was super bad and so i got them to stop doing that and then they would like we would have some potential offer or something and they would schedule it for a meeting at their office the following week so right. they would take like two weeks on any quick turnaround thing like, yeah. oh, we should call this guy right back because that could be a good thing. And it would yeah. be dead every time by the time they got around to it. So it was like this behemoth system they had. Yeah. And there was one guy there who was like really nice and kind of like the energy behind it. And, you know, I still wish him well. The, the company itself sucked. And it was a huge waste and bad, you know, it was a bad end to a you know a good run for me um, yeah because i feel like yeah. when when you are so you um i was in australia i guess when you were sort of like blowing up over here but like you did the i think you put out shine yeah and then you did a tour with opio yeah. and like from over in australia it looked like you're you were like a big artist well yeah that um so much went wrong that year and that opio tour totally fell apart what what was wrong with that? Because I mean, he's I mean, he's doing well now. But like. he's ju- he's parlayed. Uh, you know, he was able to go on from it and do really well. It crushed me. It like crushed me. I ended up, well, j- just for one thing, I got a full tax audit, IRS tax audit. It cost me almost eight thousand dollars in fees, fines, and and accountants because that whole tour, this booking or this management that I'm that I've been describing ran all the finances through my one bank account. Oh fuck. All the Australian money that had to go somewhere. Like so hundred thousand, who knows what went through my bank account. I'm meanwhile not making shit from this tour, right? Because it was right, all right. expenses. We had a boss. So, and so a to the IRS or whatever it looked like you made a hundred. It grand. looked like I was scamming like up, you know, this crazy situation where I had loads of money coming through my account and all this weird accounting. That's so dumb. It should have been really going into their accounts. Oh, there was no their account. So it was like basically like 
super amateur hour. It looked like a pro tour on the outside. Yeah, yeah. But we had like this bus driver, horrible person, absolutely terrible human being. And he <laughs> owned his bus, right? And it was on our way to Nashville, I think. We went through this county that's famous for pulling over tour buses. Right. Okay. It's like a county that like Snoop Dogg's bus has been pulled. There's like two in the, in the whole United States. Like one's in Texas and one's in, near Nashville. Don't drive through there with a tour bus, you know? So he drives through there with a tour bus and he has some kind of tags issue on the back, you know? And so they pull him over and are, we are awoke, you know, we wake up to a full raid. He lets him on the bus. They have all the everybody in the whole tour like out of their bunks and like you know they're in there with flashlights and the whole deal, and they find who knows like some weed, roaches like it could have easily been the previous ten you know band or something because right. you know how tour buses are they going under who, who knows if it was stuff that our crew had stashed but we're talking about misdemeanor level marijuana weed, stuff yeah. yeah but in 2012 in um tennessee or wherever this was that was just like as illegal as you could be and they basically were like we're gonna deport opio Unless someone takes responsibility. Oh, fuck. So I stood up and took responsibility oh, and they geez. marched me right off the thing and write me hella tickets. And like, I okay. basically spent the rest of the year legal, legally fighting this and like dealing with a lawyer in Tennessee and paying money. And so that, yeah, that was another, who knows how <laughs> many thousands like of dollars. My, so I got an email from my agency recently uh, that basically said, if you're here on an O1 visa, which is what I'm here on, uh, don't go to... Um, don't go to any dispensaries and use your passport as ID. And I'm, I mean, I don't go to them anyway. I don't smoke weed, but yeah. like, um, yeah, apparently, uh, what's been happening to some artists is they've been going into dispensaries in legal States like California, Oregon, Colorado, and then they've been leaving the country coming back in, but because it's still federally illegal at the border, they've been like, I oh, know your visa has been revoked. So apparently that's a thing that happens now too. So I got a big email about it from Madison House. And then I told Nicole from Submission about it. And she's like, I've never heard about this. And then she chatted with Madison House, chatted with a few other people, and then figured out that it was also real and then sent it to all her artists too. Oh, so it's like definitely a yeah. thing that's happening now. But yeah, fuck, that's, that's one of my biggest fears is like, um, well, I mean, probably got way bigger fears, but like <laughs> <laughs> like a fear of mine. Yeah, it got significant. Is, uh, fear, yeah, yeah, is uh, is come, trying to come back in and, and having the American border be like, your visa's been revoked because you went into a dispensary like five years ago, like right. didn't even buy weed. Like every time I'd ever gone and into it. that ruined Spoonbill's, you For like know, 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Really. He was, yeah, he was just here the other day. It was good to see him. Yeah. It's good to see that he's doing well. Um, but yeah, it's like uh, I've never even, I think I've gone into buy weed from a dispensary maybe once or twice. And it's usually ever just just because um, I'm buying it for somebody else, you know, or like, you know, because they forgot their ID or something like that. Or because, um, uh, you know, I think I bought CBD at a dispensary like one time like uh, some CBD pills or something. But yeah, to to have my like visa revoked for something like that, I'd be so pissed, man. Yeah, it's just like throwing away so much for so little kind of exactly, thing. Exactly, yeah. I was so hurt, you know, when this was going down and the, the, the story keeps going. So like, you know, I get pulled off the bus and ticketed Maybe one or two of the other guys like fesses up, you know, oh, that was my roach or whatever. It was like such misdemeanor stuff. So it was going to be just like big fines and maybe have to come to court and try to, you know, I, I could see an end to this. Right. And so they're, they're about to exit 
and they, for some reason, check the bus driver's personal stash bin right here by his driver's seat, and it's just full of drugs. All kinds of shit. Pills with no prescription, jars of shit, white powder residue, coke, everything. So they took the bus. Holy shit. (laughs) And gutted our tour, and we had to rent a white van no production. We had to send our uh, video back. We sent Teva back. All oh, this, Teva? Yeah, totally. Teva, yeah. He was on the bus. He could tell some <laughs> stories, I'm sure. Um, it just fell so badly apart that we were basically driving a white van 13 hours a night ourselves. Right. It was just you and Oscar. And uh, like a couple of the crew, like right. TM and, uh, and a sound guy. And the shows, um, were they doing well? No. Nah. Really? And they started doing worse and worse uh, because uh, we were showing up like no production and the, the promoters hated me right away. They were like, yeah. dude, you're supposed to bring in all this dude, stuff yeah, yeah, and you're yeah, showing yeah. up with nothing, no lasers. And so it got worse and worse to where we, the last 20 shows, I mean, or 15 shows or something were from Texas all the way up to Vancouver driving ourselves. And I think we, you know, the first one was like a 13 hour drive. And so by the time... We got to Vancouver. I was just, all I wanted to do was go home and quit everything in my life. You know, I was so beside myself. And so I went home after that. It was just really hard to get excited about it anymore. I was dealing with the legal stuff. I started to deal with the, the IRS. And so like, you know, music had become this pain in the ass now. Right. And so I was already experiencing a bit of, um, writer's block from just touring for years and trying to stay psyched every night at a rave when you do six of them a week, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. so I was just getting burnt and burnt plus broke plus in legal trouble. I mean, you can imagine combo, that didn't, yeah. that wasn't great uh, in terms of my family. My, you know, my wife wasn't super pleased with me at that point in time. So it was like yeah. all kinds of stuff. So that then, you know, after that, I just I couldn't, I just didn't bounce back from that. Um, and I think, Opio just kept cruising and and went on. It didn't have any strings attached to it. He left the States and was able to continue on without any trouble from that. He didn't have any legal aftermath. He didn't have, you know, so I was kind of left holding the bag. Yeah, fuck. And, you know, and and, um, that mixed with writer's block, mixed with me just getting to a place. I mean, that's when, that's before I quit drinking, you know. And I was at that point, definitely just like drinking every day. And it wasn't like... You know, like slurring my speech with a paper bag bottle in my trench coat vibe, <laughs> but, but it was thing. like it daily, to, daily. You know, yeah, it doesn't have yeah. to be that to be alcoholism. I mean, I'm not that kind of person either. I won't like go buy a bottle of whiskey and have a paper bag and fucking fight my friend. You know, like, right. but I'll still drink a few beers every day, and that's you know, I still consider myself an alcoholic at this point. Yeah, it's just weird. You know, it was like at that. Yeah, at that point, like. <clears throat> And it was, and I had stopped d- weed because I was so nervous about the bus thing. So I was just drinking, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was just pacing around at those last 15 shows, just like drinking Drunk. a six pack, <laughs> just so I could like not cry. Wait, you so, know? so you quit drinking after that tour? Yeah. About a year later. A year later. Okay. Yeah. So after that tour, I kicked along a little bit. My booking agent like merged with another company and I got handed down the chain to someone that didn't really want me. And so I could already, I just, things were not going great in Vibe Squad land in terms of the business side. And I didn't have really anyone in my corner. And those guys finally gave me the boot and it was just, it gutted me. And so the next year I spent just trying to re- 
you know, just reclaim a little footing. And mm. at the end of that, I quit drinking and basically announced that I was quitting doing Vibe Squad. And I, I, I was miserable, depressed, anxiety-stricken, alcoholic person with just no joy. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so I, I didn't think I was doing anyone any service by showing up and being like, woo, okay, Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys having <laughs> yeah. fun out there? I'm For sure. and that's murder um, myself or whatever. Yeah, which is like not you at all because like every time I've seen you play, like, I mean, for instance, you played after me at like Serenity Gathering in 2015. I think you played after me or before me. I can't remember. But it's like every time I've seen you play, you've like had a big smile on your face and you're super stoked. Yeah, I mean, the music part is always really fun and positive, and that was the whole reason why I started doing this was to try to, like, make people happy with, you know, just in, to contribute, you know. Really, it was, like, me traipsing around Burning Man looking for any good music and realizing <laughs> there wasn't a lot. Right. And it was, like, the very few things I heard were so cool that I was like, I got to do that. You do, you think, um, do you think you'll ever go to Burning Man again? It's funny because... I have to admit, I've looked at the live stream already like four times on really? my phone, like nice. since it started, you know, mm -hmm. I have this connection to it in my heart, but I also don't know what the hell I would do with myself at this point and yeah, the yeah. Way, way I am now. Cause um, you like don't drink and like you do. Somewhat of that, you know, and just that I'm off, I've been off the, the scene for so long. It's sort of like, will I remember how to ride a bike if I get back on? It's sort of like, <laughs> I don't know what I would really do 24 hours a day there other than play my music for people. It like, seems. As soon as I took away my role of performing, you know, I mean, I, I've still never been. I think I'm going to try and go next year. Really? Yeah. I think I'm going to try and camp with um, Inkanti. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm still, I would never say never. And like, it's stuff like that, like you saying you would go, yeah, you I'd be come, like, man. yeah, man, maybe let's, I would consider because like, if I can go. And like, everything has gone so crazy now. The sound systems are so big. And like, I started when it was just, garbage mackies on sticks yeah, yeah. man <laughs> and like you'd have to just find some party playing breaks yep, yep. everything else was like dunes, 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 like dunes. yeah just housing away and i was like oh that'll do i guess and you know boring and it wasn't like i feel like house has gone through a kind of an overhaul in the last 10 years but this was before yeah. that and i was right, right. i was from chicago so the last thing i want to hear is dunes dunes, dunes. you know <laughs> i was just bored of it yeah i wanted break beats and i wanted like I was looking for basically, I'm just going to sound so cocky. I was looking for Vibe Squad. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, like, I was looking yeah. for that sound, but I found it when an art car drove by one time. And I will never forget, it was a really epic moment. We was in a circle of homies, like all on our bikes, and we're talking, whatever. And an art car drives by, and it's music that it's playing is like it. And I was immediately like, oh shit, that's my shit. Nice. And I just took off from my homies who didn't weren't interested and just followed the art car. Do you remember what the artist was? I, yeah, it's part of the punchline of the story. And I um, you know, kind of ride out, spend about an hour and a half like just going in on this, and I'm like, this is my absolute favorite shit ever. Of course, it's Dave Tipper. Oh, fuck. And I was like the only person listening. <laughs> nice. I mean, it's me and maybe one other person. Right. And yeah. I'm like looking around for any camaraderie like, hey, can you pinch me? Is this what's going on? <laughs> like, this is the shit. Like, I've been looking for you, this. You'd never world. heard about Tipper before that? No. Oh, so wow. that was my virgin, you know, discovering Tipper to the point where my Damn. buddy owned a record store in Boulder and I came back and had to beatbox what I, my memory of what I heard. I was like, yo, man, there was this this music that I heard. It was like, doom, 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 
was like, what is that uh, tip of record with with the cityscapes on the front? Not the Fuel stuff? It was right post-Fuel, and it was this one major label release. I could look it up. I, I'm embarrassed yeah. for my memory. So no, it doesn't matter, but yeah, he, used anyway, to do, he did yeah, breaks for a while. It was a really classic tip of record for breaks. And um, Yeah, he's so fucking good at that shit, man. I yeah. hope I can get him on this podcast at some point. He, um, I, you know what's funny is I asked his manager... And they don't, shut me down so fast and embarrassed the crap out of me. Talk to so, Dave. Yeah, like, so um, I made a well, mistake. I, mean, I guess they're both Dave. But um, yeah, he, he came here like uh, maybe two months ago or something. We sat down in here for 12 hours and wrote a like most of like three or four minutes of a tune. That's awesome. Yeah, he's a fucking great dude. I love hanging out with him. And he's like he's got great. really good ideas on things. And, and it's also funny like hanging out with him and like questioning him about like all of the law around his name because people like after i hung out with him i made a tweet i was like oh i just hung out in the studio with tipper for 12 hours my mind has been blown out my anus and then like um and he was like don't say my name on a no tweet. no he didn't oh. give, he didn't give a shit but like um i got texts from a bunch of people after that asking me questions and shit and some like some one of the texts i got was like hey man can you like uh settle this argument i'm having right now is it true that tipper has function ones like as monitors in his studio and i was just like i hope you're on the side of the argument that's arguing that he does doesn't because that's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. Right. <laughs> and and again, like I've talked to Dave about um the function one thing because you know it's like almost like a part of his brand at this point. Like people right. make fucking question mark pins made out of function right. ones. Function, yeah, right. And um and everyone's just like, yeah, he won't play on anything else other than function ones. But it's not true. Like in Australia, he plays on KV twos and like and uh, I asked him about it and he's just like, yeah, I don't think they're like the best but like he's like they're fucking good and he and he's like oh there's a bunch of good sound systems that are all really nice like the hennessy's these days are really I like fucking, the hennessy's great yeah. yeah so um you you're getting back into shows right like it seems yeah, that way so i i um about a year ago um oh real quick just to finish this tipper thing and then oh, i'll yeah, get into yeah. this um so i went into a record store and i literally beatboxed it and the guy was just like oh it sounds like uk breaks if you do know dave tipper he's like there's actually a guy out of Texas named Bill Bless you should check oh, out as well dude, so that yeah. was like the score of an <laughs> afternoon yeah, I walked man. out of there with two Tipper CDs and uh, like a Son of the Electric Ghost thing dude. and I was like done that Bill know? Bless record is so fucking good oh yeah I mean Bill I love Bill Bless's music and as a guy I love him he's, he's just a, yeah. such a good dude he and is, like yeah. he's just he really is the real deal and he's a uh, one of a kind you know yeah. like he's off yeah. in his own world he doesn't part of the scene he doesn't and really hang out he's just makes but he's like a killer genius, genius music yeah, yeah. and it was just always pushing it like i listened to squarch mm -hmm. um or square inch or whatever he calls it. it um it's still so cutting edge like next yeah. level and the, incredible the, um, the skaters stuff as oh. well like with him and kilowatts yeah Dude, skaters was incredible kilowatts too man i wish he would do more stuff like jamie watts is, is a genius and he, piano tuner um business and and you know music business is a pain in the ass and so it sidelines a whole bunch of people who can make incredible creative stuff but so, just um, can't figure out how to pay the bills it's just it. because so much of the music business is based around like branding and marketing it's not really about how good you are at music and it's not about how much you know right. it's about like who you know and like you know your whole yeah the vibe and the branding and the marketing and, and all of that kind of stuff yeah um I wish it wasn't about that. Like, it would be so cool if people like Kilowatts could play, like, you know, these huge EDC things or whatever. Yeah. And, and I mean, they deserve to, in my opinion. Like, they're really, I mean, he's obviously worked really hard. He's been doing it for a really long time. He knows a shitload of, like, audio theory, music theory, like, like all of these guys do. And they're all, 
they, they write like such fucking nice music and it's like so well produced like on a technical level and all that stuff um but for some reason yeah i mean i suppose tipper is the only one out of i would like i don't know if i'd put tipper in the same group as all of those people they're all like g's and they're all fucking you know been there since like day one it seems like yeah um but yeah it seems like tipper is the one who who blew up the most yeah, I, I think I, I honestly think Veller or his manager Dave has, has done him very well in terms of um keeping it super special and keeping it For under sure. under pressure. Yeah. You know I also think though um it's got a little bit to do with the music too. I think um with Tipper I think if you like weird shit, you'll love it. If you like heavy shit, you'll love it. If you like yeah. really soft, like beautiful stuff, you'll love it. Like there's something kind of for everyone a little bit. Yeah. Whereas the fact I think that he I'm, has two sounds and he can do a sunrise, sunset, yeah, or exactly. he can bang at midnight, be the headliner of all headliners, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I think with like Bill Bless, it's sort of just like, if you like weird fucked up breaks, you'll like it. And if you don't, you won't. Right. And like with Kilowatts, it's sort of like, if you like techie sort of beat driven stuff with tons of melody and crazy chord progressions and stuff, you'll like it. And if if not, like there's no real heavy stuff. Yeah, there. like if you're in a real adventuresome music fan, like if you like to be taken on a brand new fresh journey and like yeah. kind of stretch yourself, you know, then those, but not everybody does, you know, no, like no. people kind of want what they want. But just slightly different. Like they, they want give stuff me a though. slightly refreshed version of what I already like, yeah. or else I'm going to start dissing you online and say that you've changed. You know, hit up your YouTube channel, leave <laughs> some angry, angry <laughs> <Yeah>. letters. <laughs> yeah, like as you were just asking about, like me playing some more shows. Yeah. Um, about a year ago, I uh, signed with Submission uh, for booking with Nicole. Um, it's with Max. Max, who works yeah, Max for, Kipperman. Yeah, yeah, I like Max. Yeah, Max is cool. Yeah, he's booked a few shows for me. Okay. Yeah, um, right. You did some of those Kill Bill, the Kill Bill ones with yeah. him. Yeah. Um, it's you know honestly, it's been a wake up call for me in terms of you know, like my brand is doesn't matter whatsoever really in the these days with the the playing field so crowded with talent and with new people on the scene to being the promoters and being the concert goers and being the festival goers and all this shit, you know, just the fact that I was doing something when I, you know, in 2010 or whatever, it doesn't matter at all now. Like it has almost no. zero bearing. But also I think the fact that electronic music has gotten so big, it's really beneficial to people like us because it's like, I mean, shit, like you trying to sell fucking a show to somebody in 2010, trying to get right. people to come out to shows much harder than now. Right. Um, I mean, playing shows in 2010, you'd get there and there'd be a rock sound guy, no mixer, like they'd be like a, a table, yeah, like, yeah. you know, and all the stuff like they, they didn't like DJ. The whole thing was stupid, you know, and. And you kind of had to like go through and bring your own everything and kind of help the guys through. And now all those guys are savvy. They've done a million of these shows. They sell more tickets on their electronic music nights than their rock and roll nights in a lot of places. And so it's mm -hmm. changed that dynamic. They always have a mixer and, you know, a lot of times CDJs or the club already owns them or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it... it I, you know, back then I was lucky enough to be early enough that there wasn't a crowded playing field. And so to be that early and to be doing something really unique, it had like, I had my own place, you know, right. now I, I feel like rightfully so there's a lot of great music coming out, like more than I can almost take in. Like I've yeah. listened to like five mixtapes of all new shit recently and it's all good. And I'm like, yeah, Fuck. dude, yeah. There's so much good stuff out there now, which is great. I love it. Um, there's, I think the stat is like 40,000 new tracks get uploaded to Spotify every day. Some, yeah. Something like every that. day, every right? day. Yeah. So, and I mean, so yeah, you, you some have of to it really is... give people a good reason to listen to your stuff. Right. And just the, you know, 
trying to imagine that people are going to wander in, you know, and passively like discover. It doesn't work like that so much anymore. And, you know, add to the fact that I don't go out partying until two in the morning with promoters and being like, yeah, bro, you should have me play your festival (laughs) and all that shit. I've sort of fallen off with a lot of it, you know? Um, The good side is that I'm feeling creative, like really creative. And that part was the hardest thing to stomach was just like having writer's block. But now- Why don't you do like um, an album or something? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I have put out two albums in the last year. Really? Yeah. So oh, yeah, that's right. I, I just don't them. think people, I think there's so much coming out, like you're saying, yeah, that yeah. an album isn't a big splash. I don't right. have a team. So like I put out two albums and no one knew that I did. Like I've had a couple people just be like, oh, I just heard your new one. And the, I don't know what they even, they're re- referencing because I have one out in <laughs> August and I had one in December. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing a new EP with Sleeveless Records um, cool. with uh, Stylus Beats. Oh yeah, Um yeah. And it's a three song and it bangs and I'm really proud of it. I feel like it's nice. good. And then I have another 20 tunes in the bag right now. Um, that are all I, finished? Yeah. Crazy. And I think I'm going to do um, so now some like, alias stuff. Well, now is the time where you really should be playing shows because so much of your stuff is on release and you have like so much new fresh material. Exactly. And now is the time when I'm in a drought of gigs. And what if you put super... out, um, what if you put out like a mix? Like That's probably what I should do. Um, I'm in a, I'm, you know, I'm about to do another round of just sort of like reaching out vibe and releasing stuff and making a mix. And I think being on this label would be the first time I've done a release on someone else's label in over 10 years. And that's something I need to do. Like we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, you yeah, know? Well, I think like certain labels like foster certain kinds of communities. Like my label, for instance, has fostered the whole like sort of experimental IDME kind of community. Like people who would like Wisp and the Flashbulb and Box Cutter and stuff like that are kind of yeah. following my label now, which is good. Um, and you know, if you do a release on Wakan, that will almost, it seems like instantly get you into all the bass music festivals and um, right. definitely help a lot with getting your name out in the bass music community if that's kind of a thing you're trying to do. Uh, and then, you know, you've got Subcarbon, the Ganja White Night Guys label, which I did a release on earlier this year. And that that was really helpful. It seemed like um, they, they have like a really sort of well-fostered community around this sort of 2008 dubstep sound. And then I'm about yeah. to do an EP on um, Patrick Dirt Monkey's label. Oh, nice. 19K? Uh, yep, 19K, yeah, 19K. Yeah, I'm doing cool. one uh, next week, I think. Great. Um, yeah. It's like a four-track EP called Wub EP. <laughs> it's nice. literally just like four Wubby songs. Sick. And um, yeah, so that, that'll be good. Uh, one of the tracks on there is a collab with him too. So Great. I think that'll do well. But yeah, I think I'm... Um, that's kind of what I'm doing these days. I have my own shit just for doing my own experimental bullshit. And then when I do like heavier stuff, I try and put it on these like, you know, my friend's labels like Dirt Monkey, uh, Liquid Stranger and Space Jesus, uh, yeah. Patrick Dirt Monkey and stuff like that. And just try and, um, yeah, the Ganja guys too. Just try and, try and get it into these like communities that have already been like pretty well established rather than trying to sort of like break it in myself on Bandcamp anymore and stuff which right. I try to do for a long time and it's just kind of shooting myself in the foot that's my like. world man it's just like me like basically spending two weeks mastering you know that last week where you're like oh you can't listen anymore but you know you have like so much more detail to like repair and stuff yeah. and so go through that whole thing put it out and it just sort of is like you know doesn't nobody notices and that's that's just silly because you know I really should be going through other outlets and other labels. And so I have this new batch of tunes and some of it's like super sleazy, like slow and like just more like dirty than I, than the, maybe what people expect from vibe squad. And so, um, I've been calling that 
Fux, F-U-X. <laughs> Sick. And so I think I'm going to do a Fux release. I have, a, I could do a whole album, but I might just do like just the sickest ones, you know? Just really heavy shit. Well, it's not like it's so heavy, but it's like uh, like dubstep, like, um, you know, it's just bass music. Right, okay. Like that infrasound sound, yeah, you know? Okay. Where like, if you don't have great gear, you might miss the point yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. But when you hear it on a rig, it so, goes, you yeah. know? And like, that was something I loved. I, this summer playing at infrasound, I realized I'm just such a, like in my heart of hearts, like a bass head you know yeah. like, i'm not talking about like a bass nectar fan although i he's cool but like i love bass on a kick-ass sound system it's nice yeah like in the in the way that like you know like i've watched all these like coxon sound like london 70s uh sound system to like there's the all these um uh documentaries about it you know mm -hmm. and how they would just be making speaker boxes and bringing this shit out <laughs> just to like play dub plates and like yeah, i just yeah. love that so much totally. for some reason it gets makes me happy like i just started making plates you know tunes that were just like you know just heavies yeah. and don't have a place for it and i you know don't feel like place for that shit is live really right that's kind of yeah i feel like a, a lot of like that about a lot of my shit too like i'll uh, quite often i'll sit down and write music and i'll be like all right i got some shows coming up i'm literally just gonna make shit that i know is gonna like fuck up a sound system <laughs> and like yeah. um and then i'll just do shit like you know get these huge sign sweeps that just go from like you know 18 hertz all the way up to like 22k and back down again and just like just to really flex like the yeah, whole just range like, and like, exactly like push and, the whole yeah. thing and and use that it, it there's stuff there's things that you can do on like a you know Hennessy sound system that doesn't happen when you're just like tapping your toe in the kitchen like cooking you just and can't stuff. do it yeah, in a it's studio just not you, the same. Yeah. Yeah. you really have to like yeah abstract it how it's gonna work on something that crazy and then yeah like I at, at infrasound they were nice enough to have me back this year and um, I think yeah, I might have played their first one oh yeah right we, we hung out for a second so that was the best browse for me because during the day they had the heaviest shit, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And usually during the day is like a lot of jam bands or something. They just do it differently at some festivals. Not at Infrasound. Right? Yeah, at Infrasound they just go fucking They just go ham, hard, man. right? Yeah. So you got like turning like, sound and all that. Could they look yeah, one like and that kind of shit? Sixus was playing at like three in the afternoon yeah, exactly. playing like the glitchiest, craziest, hard, yeah. like halftime DMB stuff. Right, which I, was, I love that. Dude, so his like, set was I'm just, fucking great. I like, yeah, his set was great. Everybody on that whole spread, you know, that whole day was, was one after another was just really awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I got to meet a lot of people that I only know like through the internet or whatever and felt a little more connected and like definitely got psyched to make some bass bin whoppers, you know, and yeah. <laughs> start that fucks project up. Nice, man. Um, yeah, I think that might be good actually. Yeah, if you started a new alias and then maybe really geared the releases towards like some some labels that are really suitable for that and then just yeah, try and make it like a big bassy festival project. I think that would be, you know, it would certainly be something that would have my interest and heart in it, you know, and I feel like one of my mistakes is trying to do everything Vibe Squad wise as like under one umbrella and like, like, it's kind of funny. Like I did, a, um, or, or we have a collab that sort of like is stuck in the hard drive right now, me and Dirt Monkey. Oh, fuck yeah. Um, from like a long time from ago. From a long time ago. Right. And, um, and I'm stoked to to collab with him. He's awesome, and and you yeah, know, he's I really, it now yeah, too. absolutely, he just on, on all the them. levels. But he made a starter that I. He was trying to do something vibe squatty, 
And I think I secretly wanted to do something dirt monkey. And what <laughs> happens in sometimes is like an in-between place that didn't yeah. totally like work or maybe, I don't know. But I feel like people think of Vibe Squad in a certain way and there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah. And so <laughs> the fact that I've changed a ton over the last 15 years doesn't matter because if you think of me as that song, one song you like or whatever, yeah, like that's it. Or something. Yeah, for a lot of people, it's chocolates. <clears throat> chocolates, okay. Which is funny because that was a late tune for me. That was, after, yeah. that was almost at the end for of me, my it's, wave. It's shine. It's like that, that sort of like saw wavy filtered bass with like tons of melodic changes in songwriting and stuff like that. Yeah, that one was, I think, a real close to my heart tune and stuff. But, you know, it kind of boxed me into like, yeah, that's yeah. that's it so the fact that i had a bunch of like 140 stuff doesn't matter the fact that i i was experimenting with like faster stuff housey stuff all kinds of stuff and it didn't land you know and i and i feel like i'm too eclectic as a musician for branding and sales and all that kind of stuff like i just like music you know i want to make all kinds of shit and i don't think by calling it all vibe squad is a good business move like i think splitting off now and doing like keeping the like chunky 90 bpm kind of like stuff vibe squad or whatever and the like you know bass bin stuff i'm gonna start calling fucks and i have like a project of more pretty stuff you know that would be more of like a sunrisey kind of vibe and i don't think i should put that out under those names but i maybe a third one you know yeah it can get a little bit like confusing on the marketing stuff um i wanted to go back to talking about collabs how you said you were trying to do something that sounded like dirt monkey he was trying to do something that sounds like you that's one of the things i love so much about collabs is it kind of like when you're collaborating like for instance when i was collaborating with tipper i'm like great this is the time where i can just flex sounding like stuff, yeah right? like yeah. i can sound as much like him as i want now because right. like it doesn't matter like he's here in the room with me it's totally fine it's not a ripoff anymore you know right, yeah <laughs> and i and i love that like it's um for me that's one of the biggest like things about and that's i think i'm um, part part of why um i ended up getting like such a versatile skill set is because i collaborated with so many people allowed myself to sound like so many different people without feeling like uh, shitty about it because like I was actually writing with them right? and then learning all these different stylistic skills and stuff but yeah I love that I think that, you've like, done a great job of collabing like crazy this year I mean like you, you did a track yes. with like everybody you know it seemed <laughs> every like every single person well it seemed like there was a bunch of them you know kind of in a row um, what did I do this year I did one with Laura Brem I did uh, four or five tunes with SX and I think that's all I've put out this year. Um, that you've made more. Like I know I've there's one with G Space, and yeah. you got one with. Uh, that hasn't come out yet though. But um, yeah, there's a bunch that are just sort of like coming out on social media via videos of me playing it at festivals or videos of the other collaborator playing it. But yeah, I have um four with Mersive that mm -hmm. I'm hopefully going to finish off soon. I have the one the EP on Patrick's label. It's going to be um a collab with him, a collab with Sub Doctor, a collab with this kid called Jonah Hodges from my Illegal Beats label and then one with Hullabaloo. Uh -huh. um, and then, yeah, so that's going to come out like early September and then I'm going to try and get the, the immersive stuff out maybe late September. So I'm going to try and put like two EPs in September. That's cool. That's good. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I want to, like, I, I know the sleeveless thing, I gotta, I'm doing that first and that'll probably come out end of September, early October and I want to, and I'm itchy. I got tunes. That's and with I, the Fox project? No, that's just that Vibe Squad, Vibe Squad. Uh, like three songs. Okay, um, yeah, cool. And then I, um, I want. I think I'll probably just get so antsy that I'll drop the fucks record like yeah. as soon as I can get them all like polished. Sweet. Polished. And you, you'll probably do that on a label too. Well, I don't have any interest right now, so you know the way I operate is that it depends how antsy I am. I'll send it out um, to a few friends through the DM, you know, like that we've already mentioned basically. Yeah. And but 
I haven't totally gotten the, I don't know. Like, I'm not like feeling super confident. I mean, part of that's just me and my own weird world of not interacting enough maybe with other people musically. Yeah. Um, well, that's where the but, manager comes in too, you know, you yeah. get, get someone to shop it for you. Yeah. Um, the other option these days that I see a lot of independent artists doing, um, <clears throat> especially if they run their own labels, like, you know, G Jones or whatever runs his own label now and did his, his, his album on his own label and stuff. Um, I don't know if he hired a PR company. I imagine he probably did, but a lot of, I know a lot of people do that now. Like they'll hire a PR company. Um, for a project yeah so for instance I just did that collab with Laura Brem and she we released it on her label and she hired a PR company to like help push that collab and stuff like that which and is it, a really good tune by the way I just listened to it oh cheers yeah the glitchy sort of Bjorky vibes yeah. yeah she um yeah she she I guess like because most of her releases are independent and if they're not independent they're on something pretty big like Monster Cat or something like that um that she does PR stuff and and actually uh I didn't really have to do much, um, but I saw like tons of email threads coming in from her PR company to like both of us and both of our managers. And they were just like, all right, we need this from you, like little quotes so we can like do a premiere through like this blog and then we need another quote for this blog and we need to like, you know, get a little write up for this upload here. And like, so they were like, you know, doing work to try and make sure that it all came out nicely and everything was done well and stuff. So maybe it could be worth. Yeah, doing that, that would as well. be a good thing. I I got you know like of course I'm I'm just like a shit show when it comes to stories about do making bad mistakes. But I I hired the worst PR woman of all time really? through that company through the mammoth. through the mammoth from yeah. Kansas. Like they hired just the worst, and I should have known it because she had an AOL email. Address. Oh yeah, fuck that shit. Right away, if, I should have known have a, this is not someone legit, yeah, and she someone, took so much money. If off someone it. has an email address at like Hotmail yeah. or Outlook or Can't AOL or Yahoo.com, she can... <laughs> may have been good back in the '90s with faxing shit to people, yeah. but she did not keep up with internet business, and like nah, it was such a dumb tangent. And so it's like, I've just done it the wrong way a couple of times. So I'm always a little scared to like yeah. go out and put my money. Well, that, in that's something. why, um, I think the kids these days are doing so well. Like, you know, you get these younger kids, like I think Subtronics is like 26 or something like that. And you know, there's just a bunch of younger kids who are even way younger than that, who are doing, who are just crushing it. And they're like 20 years old. It's because they're so fucking good at social media, man. Like right. they just grew up in that and era. That part, and the social part of it is a piece of cake and they don't need to do albums. They can just do tunes and they the collab with everybody. Yeah, totally. you know, I've been tuning in to way more young producers than I have been oldies like me. Well, it's because they're fucking <laughs> in your face constantly because they're Well, yeah, so like aggressive. all my students are keeping me, keeping it real. And then like, you know, I've been just listening to like what's happening. You know, I noticed there's like some collectives, like I really like that 40 ounce collective, 40 ounce collective shout yeah. out. I love them. Um, yeah. I mean, they, the, they have the energy, you know, they yep, have enthusiasm, totally. they have a sound, they have a, like a, it's just a cool crew. And they're and, like open to gassing each other up too. Like, yeah, instance, right. That's what it is. Like one of them will like post a thing on SoundCloud or whatever and like all of them will repost it or yep. like, you know, one of them will make a tweet, all of them will retweet it and so on and so forth. So it's like their whole thing just like, you they know, get it. the rising tide sort of raises all ships kind of thing. Yeah, they, they, they get it for sure. And that's one thing I feel like older people are a little bit weirder with. Like if, you know, um, I'm not even that old, I'm like 31, but like, like if I start asking a bunch of my friends who are like around my age, like, Hey, can you like share this? Can you repost this? It's like, everyone's sort of seems busy and unavailable and like, it's a little harder. We're all guarding our shit. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. you know, I think what you did with your education channel was totally revolutionary because the rest of us were like keeping our four tricks to ourselves. Right. right? <laughs> like I had a lot of people asking, I remember there was like the glitch hop forum or whatever, you know, I don't know why. I think it's just because I'm shy or whatever, but 
I was afraid of like telling everybody how I was doing my thing. <laughs> like I was afraid that it would just stop. Well, or like that everyone would just like trample right over me or something. I don't know what my fear my, was, but I didn't share. Here's my thing is like, I looked at it the same way as guitar, right? Um, like I can show you where to put your fingers and I can show you how to hit the strings and I can show you how to do the thing, but it's still going to take a lot of practice for you to be able to do it at like the correct tempo and stuff. Right. Like it's, it's not like it's easy still. Um, and you'll still need to add your own flair to be unique. Exactly. At it, I, we, I actually talked about this yesterday with Mercive. Um, my idea with it was if I show you how to make a neuro bass and then you then know how to make the neuro bass and then my project has no value anymore, then I suck as an artist. Right, because like, I think if, that's yeah. I can see that. If the only it. thing that I have that's cool is a bass sound, right? Then I don't really have any essence to what I do anyway. It's like it, right at this point of at least you know you can just download a bass sound off Splice and who cares? right. <laughs> so if you're willing to give away, and I, I think that transparency though, it did the opposite of what I was afraid it would do. It it did a positive for you right, and created yeah. a community totally of yeah. people that are thankful that you showed them how to get started or whatever. So now they're like going to do you a solid and support you, come to your shows and in I a think way. It's you know? had like two effects too. Like one effect that I've noticed that it's, it's had is it's kind of like ruined the magic trick a little bit for some people where, you know, if you like, you do a card trick and then yeah. all of a sudden the person's like, oh, now I know where the card is. It's no longer as cool because um, the illusion is sort of gone. So it's had that effect a little bit, but it's also had the this other effect for people who are like pretty good producers. Um, it's had this other effect, which is like, uh, people like respect me more because they know how I did it. You know, they're like, oh, wow. Like it's actually way harder than I thought it was, you know? Right. So, so there's people who, yeah, I'm getting like kind of both sides of it, but either way, I think overall, yeah, it's been mostly positive. I think it's positive in the way that it creates, you know, a relationship. I think half of this audience makes music. Oh, absolutely. I mean, more, I think most right? of the people listening to this podcast will definitely be Yeah. Music it's makers. an enthusiast genre like if you can even call it genres anymore really it's kind of blurry but everything is yeah, yeah but it's just it's all like, electronic it's like music producers now. you know i feel like are the are really into it you know in a different way and you know you can always see like the train spotting to producer guys at the shows yeah but weirdly like and i thought this was really cool i think g jones put it on his twitter like Sometimes that is someone enjoying the music like the most. Like they're thinking like an, so hard. They're not front row screaming in your face dancers. Totally. They're like standing in the back looking like this with their head with a you know a straight face because yeah. they're concentrating or maybe their eyes are well, closed. Well, per personally, like regardless of whether the music is like super heavy or super intelligent and like glitchy and soft or whatever, like it can be any kind of music. I'm generally having the best time at a show when I'm like in a comfortable spot, like maybe sitting or leaning on a rail up the back, drinking a beer, just listening to the tunes. Like that's, that's how I like to engage with music. Right. And if, and for me, when I'm on stage, I'm constantly sort of thinking about that. Like if I see some people who are just sort of staring at me, I'm like, well, maybe they're just like me, you know, they just like enjoy music in that way. Like that's their way of, Right, of, that's the way they externalize that's, it. Yeah, that's what they come to a show to do. They just come to listen and... It's it's easy to get distracted by the front row screaming melt my face or whatever. And then if it's not happening, you're like, oh, I suck, man. I, they don't I like I talked about much. this with Mercy yesterday too, where he was um he made a tweet about people on the boogie tour um, sort of leaning on the front rail, just mean mugging him, basically like staring him down. And he was like, it was most of like the front row who were just doing that kind of... And I always think that's so fucking dumb. It's like people in the audience are just like, you were like a fucking object between me and the headliner. And like right. that was happening with me a little bit, like when I was opening for Beats Antique a bit. Mostly 
usually people are accepting because of their, their their crowd is pretty accepting. But I did get the vibe a lot from like people, especially in the front row of those shows, where they were kind of like, "You were just like a fucking obstacle between me seeing Beats Antique." And it's like, you know, I'm gonna be playing for the next 45 minutes anyway. You might as well just enjoy it. Right. It's not like they're gonna come on now. Like they're not right. scheduled to go on until later. That's how the show is gonna go. Just you, fucking. You knew ex- what time this is gonna yeah, all start, exactly. right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I did. I did 30 shows with Bass Nectar and as direct support, and so really, I know that feeling. You know, it's like when did you're you do not that? the guy we want to see. The other guy, 2012, I oh, did shit. the whole Vob of a Womb tour first half of the year through Red Rocks. Jesus. You know, you, you played Red Rocks. Yeah. fuck yeah, and it was super fun. I mean, it was so great to like go out. It was a weird experience because you know you, there was all like basketball arenas and the backstage area was like the dressing room for the team yeah and there'd be just no one in it and i didn't have a lot of guests at a lot of the show so it'd be me in a basketball dressing room you know with all those like like vertical like, places like so much room for activities yeah like my little cooler of beer and i would just be sitting there drinking beer and then you would do the march down the hall past all the the la- the grandmas in the like windbreakers you know yeah, they work yeah. for the security totally, yeah. and they're like oh have a nice show have a nice show and it's all like neon lights and grandmas and then you finally get to the turn and it's dark you go in and you come up through this like dark tunnel up some stairs and it's like the full tilt bass nectar yeah. thing you go up to your little cubicle which is not center stage because they like you know yeah. they've very very much made me feel like the openingest yeah. opener of all time and you know and then start and it's kind of like people are like oh okay you know, and so you got to win them over for a half an hour, yeah, 40 minutes yeah. or whatever. Then, it's challenging. It's kind of fun. And I don't think the bass nectar scene had become so ravenous yet in 2012. It was sold out tour, but it wasn't like, like, I feel like now a lot of scenes have become like, like these are the rules of being a fan. Right. You have to wear this and go <laughs> this hour and do this and do, you know what I mean? Yeah, like you yeah. have to behave you have to in a certain know, way. Like There's certain like all way. this you know, people copying other people and stuff. But at that point it was still kind of freestyle. And so I don't think people gave me the the full, you know, I think (laughs) I've heard of people now opening for Lauren and getting like, just, you know, that hate face thing because people are real. I mean, again, I think like the thing is that, um, the people are just there to see bass nectar. And I think they kind of feel like you're an object between seeing a bass nectar show. And it's just like, He's not going to come on, man, until like 11, just chill. Yeah, he's not doing a four-hour set, you know, (laughs) or whatever. And yeah, and and that's a challenge. I mean, I think that's good for artists to learn that how to work through that. It's kind of like learning how to DJ and and like people not being into what you're doing and then you're having to switch gears and like figure out how to entertain everybody and not suck, you know? Yeah. That puts, you know... It yeah, that's grows definitely... you up a little bit, but it sort of sucks, you know? Yeah, that's something I've had to learn for sure because I, I always came from a producing background and it took me a long fucking time to like figure sets out. And I really don't think I figured them out until shit like I don't know, the last few years, really. Yeah. I feel like they keep getting better at this point, but like, um, yeah, for fuck the first like six or seven years I was playing out DJing, I was just like, playing entire full tracks i'd written out and like i wasn't really mixing that much i didn't really understand it i was like yeah this you know that's what i wrote so that's what i'm gonna play like (laughs) i always did that like like me doing vibe squad in 2007 and 2008 i was playing four and a half minute tunes yeah yeah. every tune shit that does not happen anymore it's like one minute max (laughs) no and it's so funny if you're not playing 60 i could feel i was you know and i used to do a thing as a producer which is kind of funny i would bury the coolest part 
like Easter egg at four minutes, I would have this change that would be like the (laughs) glorious part of the tune, you know? And then I would really want to get to that part playing it live. So I would just make everybody just wait through five drops (laughs) while we get there, you know, or whatever it was. And it's funny because I look back at my old tunes and they're so fucking long. Yeah. And I'm looking at my new stuff. It's like clocking in at three minutes at max, right? And up two two minutes and 40 seconds. I'm like, yeah, that's a sick tune. (laughs) And it's funny, but it's kind of like that's what the audience sort of seems like they want. And yeah, I mean, it's fun it's to the like attention span length. Of it's people. just fun to hear like a lot of sonic changes happening quickly. Like if you kind of get stuck on a vibe for a long time, it's I don't know the thing that like seems exciting is when you hear like you know the drum kit switches up, like it's all new drum sounds, all new bass sounds, and like if that's happening like you know twenty, thirty times every set. I mean, you know, I, I generally try to. I think I play like a track every two minutes or so. So I'm playing yeah. like maybe 30 to 40 tracks in an hour. Um, it's just, yeah, fun to have a lot of changes, I think, like that. I feel like that interest factor works in a specific tune as well. Like I totally. think that that's a yeah. newish writing style where, where people like you it. take one MIDI idea, right? And yep. you run it through four soundscapes yep. and you don't let one thing just honk away, but you blast second sound third sound Mm -hmm. sweet ass fill it never repeats again the whole tune (laughs) you know and like a lot of the newest stuff that i think is fresh i'm listening to um like it just doesn't repeat a lot yeah you know it has a repetitive element to it like maybe like every eight bars that first hits the same or something yeah like it has a motif of some degree and then there's a rhythmic that's being rhythmic idea that's being pushed through everything you know Mm -hmm. and that just keeps being interesting it's like every time you just drop the drums out at the end and pulling them back in with that fresh sound and it's somehow refreshes the whole tune really well yeah and that's new i think that 10 years ago you'd hear more of like the same thing repeating through the tune or like the same sound having more real estate per song maybe that's come from the dj culture a little bit too it's like people have kind of figured out like oh this kind of you know dynamic is exciting in a set so like let's put that on a micro level within a tune or whatever and also i've noticed yeah a lot of tunes these days are like two and a half minutes it's like they're getting shorter because people are just like we really just want to make a full playable tune still like a good dj tool um so there's no real point in making second drops because no one ever fucking plays them or listens to them (laughs) so it's like you might as well just make like a really punchy short sick fucking tune i get really bored of my own music at four (laughs) minutes i mean honestly i think the attention span thing it must just be this maybe social culture wide thing but like i'm just as bad as everybody else you know yeah it's probably got a lot to do with social media like fucking up our attention spans oh totally because i mean a dj set used to be like a journey you know or it progresses and it can still be like it, it should be right but you have to do it and you can't be as patient with it where like you expect everyone to just ride like 10 minutes of intro or whatever like listen to some orbital tune or something that was popular like when trance was filling like stadiums in the united states you know or like whatever that those tunes are like so long and the beat doesn't even drop for four minutes and i'm imagining like trying to do that nowadays and you wouldn't I don't know people that have that level of attention span, myself included. I skip moody intros and I am embarrassed to say, but you know, like I do, I, like if I'm just checking yeah. out some new music and I want to hear it, just I can see where track. it hits. Totally. I can see the, like, the, the little, like there's the, where the beat comes Remember in. Remember that time that um, SoundCloud did that April Fool's joke where they put the arrows being like, here's the drop. Like, <laughs> Dude. 
Yeah, I, I do a lot of editing too when I play music out. Like, um, if I'm playing somebody else's tune out, like 90% of the time I'll edit it. So I'll, uh, I'll pull it into a new session in Ableton. I'll like, you know, warp it to the correct tempo of the thing and I'll just cut a lot of shit out of it. So it's just all the punchiest bits of that song. Or if the song is in like, you know, if it has some weird fills or something, like I'll just cut those out and put my own. Or, you know, I'll cut a fill out and put a vocal in there or something. Or like, right. like I'll do a lot of editing like that just to for that reason to try and take somebody else's tune that I think has a lot of potential as a DJ tool and just whittle it down to be a DJ tool. That's smart. It's smart because you know, you know, you're standing up on that stage and it's just a different thing than if you're it's completely chilling yeah. back in the studio and you got more space and time just in general. Totally. You know, and like, especially when there's a lot of exciting people on a festival lineup and you got one hour. Yeah, you got. Yeah, I got no time for you that. Bring shit. All yeah, your you got to bust that. it out and yeah. make it like you know, shorten it down to the 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 point and you know all the way looping back to making videos they all like the way i felt like i needed to take the ums and all that little dead space out yeah it's like you need to get rid of that in your set or else people will you'll feel it you'll feel the phones coming out you just see them <laughs> like you yeah. see people back away as it like lose interest and like start browsing to the other stage you know yeah yeah you need to keep it engaging for sure well, fuck yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, dude. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think that's that's about 80 minutes. That's pretty good. Cool. But yeah, man, right. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, you should come on again at some point. I think I'm going to, I don't know how many episodes I'm going to do with this. I'm just going to try and do it indefinitely. Cool. My whole yeah, idea I'm happy to come is, back whenever. Fuck yeah. Yeah, my whole idea is to basically um, try, try and, I mean, I want to do a podcast anyway. I like having conversations with people. But also I think it's like going to be a nice platform, you know, like for yeah. instance, you see a lot of these stand-up comedians and honestly, like for a stand-up comedian, a podcast is such a fucking good platform because they're all professional talkers. Like right. that's what they fucking do for a living. So good. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I notice a lot of them, they'll like put a show on sale. And at the start of the podcast, I'll be like, I just put a show on sale in Kentucky at the blah, blah, blah theater. Yeah. And then it'll just bam, sell out 3000 tickets. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Fucking yeah. Cause it's insane. engaging and it's regular and it's and like, everybody, it's no low stress. You can just listen on your headphones when you're, you know, exercising or something or whatever. Yeah, and it's I usually, totally different. Yeah. I usually listen to these on planes. Yeah. That's my thing is like, I'll be sitting like waiting to get on a plane. I'll just hit download on a ton of podcasts and then I'll just sit on the plane listening to them all. Yeah. And I, I find it to be like kind of nice. It's almost like I'm having a conversation with someone on a plane who I want to have a conversation with. Totally. Right, you know right. what's funny? is like <laughs> I like it, you know, and I'm really into podcasts and so I feel exactly that way. And I saw someone online being like, podcasts make me feel like I'm cornered at a party with like <laughs> someone I don't want to talk to. That's exactly And what, I got to just listen to them. Was it like, Bleep Bleep who said that? Maybe, yeah. Because he, he told me that. Oh, really? At a Yeah, I was hanging out with him at Camp Bisco and um, I was like, what do you think about podcasts? He's like, it makes me feel like I'm trapped in a room with two people who, who won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I like that fly in the wall vibe of it. You I can like just like listen and be like, oh man, that's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that's a really funny thing. But I, I, th I find it a really... Um, um, educational, you know, to it's just it's it's a long form, so it, you can stretch out and, yeah, and totally. you, you know hear something interesting and yeah, and it's also um, like I did an interview the other day for a like Psytrance uh, blog or something, yeah. and we did it over the phone, yeah. and then they converted it to text, and I sounded like such a fucking asshole. Like that's a lot of the, the worst. Yeah, yeah so I, I hate that. Yeah, so one of the things um, 
that I really like about this too is it's like it takes you know it, all of the context of how you're saying stuff too and right kind of conveys that as well yeah yeah because that's the worst thing <coughs> ever is to have something you said with a little bit of emphasis or sarcasm or whatever just convert be to text, the person yeah. just totally takes it literally or something like that yeah, and you yeah, read like it that. and you're like I sound like a tool like yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate that for sure and that's, that those feel canned you know I feel like the podcast thing is freestyle so you're gonna get a little more candid vibe and you're gonna maybe hear some stories that that person if they consulted with their manager would be told not to tell or whatever you know like right, i probably right. regret telling that whole um bus getting taken story for you know thing but yeah. at the same time you know those are the cool things that people <laughs> kind of want to listen to. totally you know? yeah it's all the stuff that you never get to hear otherwise right and in a real interview it can be very uh you know too sterile sterile and yeah, buttoned yeah. up and you, know, <laughs> you get it pretty much and sales pitchy or whatever so yeah i feel that way yeah cool, well, cool man fuck all yeah right. i appreciate you coming on yeah man thanks right. cheers Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast.